This is Kyle Worland. I'm joined by my co-host, Jen Wilkin and JT English. What's up, y'all? Hey. Hey, hey. How we doing? Oh, I'm doing splendid. Just, you know, loving life, living, <laughs> living you guys fast, are both, living free. Honestly, you guys are both kind of a train wreck today. Uh, JT, why don't you share with our audience what you're looking forward to tomorrow? Oh, guys. <laughs> guys. Your brother is in pain. So, uh, you know, Christmas Eve services at Storyline go great. I head up to the mountains with my family, have a great Christmas day. And then the next next morning, I'm sledding, going like three miles an hour, like very slow. I've got my four-year-old daughter in front, and we end up having a sledding accident. We kind of ran into uh, my niece, who was walking, didn't see us. I caught her, and my left bicep exploded, snapped back up into my shoulder. Oh, so nasty. <laughs> yeah, and like I felt it right away. This is the this is the great part about being married. Like I felt it. I knew that I've never done anything like this, and I just knew it. It was like my my bicep is not attached to my arm right now. Oh, and so, so I I go walk up to Macy and I say I just tore my bicep, and she's like, No, you didn't. You know, just full of sympathy and compassion. <laughs> and so <laughs> I go inside and I take my snow jacket off and like my I have like one Popeye arm and another 36 year old dad arm and oh, they're man. very like one looks like a bodybuilder and the other one looks like I'm, you know oh, man. I'm lightheaded hearing about yeah. <laughs> it's the grossest and then like I hadn't seen any pictures of you so I'm like what's he gonna look like is he gonna look like Quasimodo is he gonna have like yeah. it, not that that's bad I'm gonna, Quasimodo I'm gonna, great I'm guy send, I'm gonna send you a picture of the surgery tomorrow the insi- so I've got no. surgery tomorrow to the winter at all they're no. gonna, well, I'll no. just. I'm going to invoke I, HIPAA and just say, please, dear Lord. That, that's an instant block on your phone number yep. for tomorrow if you send me a picture of that. Instant, yep. immediate. So, I mean, seriously, pray for me. It's, it's going to be a long recovery. It's three or four months. It's going to be a long thing. So I'm just, I remember watching Kyle curl 135 pounds. I wish I had one of his biceps right now. <laughs> You can have them both. If one, if if somebody asks you for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Uh, I'll take them. I'll take them. If somebody asks for one bicep, you can give them both. So, um, pray for Macy. She's going to have to deal with me for like a week on pain meds. What kind of a sick person are you? Are you a big wah wah baby, or are you like okay? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Come on. But it's real. It's when it happens to me. It's real. We should pray for Macy. Oh, gosh. Hey, since we've been doing episodes where people are on drugs, maybe when you're taking the painkillers, we could work in another uh, episode. Yeah. Kyle, yeah. Kyle's on the quill train. I'll be on the hydro train. Yeah. I'll just, <laughs> just, I'll just stay on the straight and narrow yeah, for everybody else. Yeah. Keep us, keep us locked in. And today we certainly need yeah. to be locked in. We're dealing with Romans 9. So uh, not, a, uh, not a tricky <laughs> passage at all, Romans 9. Um, no landmines. <laughs> No difficulties. If you if you missed our episode that we did with Dr. Mike Bird, then you missed a great episode. I would go back. I, I actually, I, I would tell you this. I rarely ever say this. If you missed that episode, I would pause this episode. Go listen to that one first um, because we're kind of playing part two here because Romans 9 is so dense. We knew, and this is not any, this is not to shortchange Dr. Bird at all because mm-hmm. that episode was fantastic. We just knew, hey, this is a big passage. We want to come back. There was some stuff we left on the cutting floor. So we want to come back to that. And uh, honestly, so, we were a little Romans. bit cowardly. It was kind of like, man, that was a great episode with Dr. Bird. We could just keep going, <laughs> just leave the yeah. rest of it there. But that yeah, would that be was very wrong. That'd be very wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, JT was ready to move. Jen kept us here, and uh, we're going to dig into it. So, Jen, why don't you read, just to kind of get uh, the listeners acclimated to it, why don't you read Romans 9, 1 through 6 or 7, and then, JT, why don't you read Romans 9, 14 through 18, and that'll just kind of get us our bearings before okay. we jump in. Um, Romans 9, starting in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. 
that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Uh, Skipping a few verses, now picking up in verse 14 in chapter 9. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. All right. Well, these passages are certainly, Romans 9 is dense. And if somebody is, if you're familiar with Romans, if you're familiar with Romans 9, if you've ever heard any preaching or teaching on the book of Romans, then you are probably aware that Romans 9 is a fairly tricky passage to navigate. Now, Dr. Bird in that episode gave us some really great structure or a fantastic recap of the argument to get us to Romans 9. So we're not going to do as much of that here. More of what we're going to do is, is hit some parts of Romans 9 that we didn't get to explore in greater detail, which means this isn't all we have to say about Romans 9. I just want to stress that because I wouldn't want you to listen to this and be like, well, they didn't cover this, this, or this, or the context or the structure of Romans 9, 10, and 11 and how that's helpful. All of that stuff is on our episode with Dr. Bird. We just wanted to hit some stuff that we weren't able to work in to that episode. And I wanted us to start with 1 through 6 because I get so many questions about Romans mm-hmm. 9, 3, which says, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, when people read Romans 9, they'll ask, what on earth is Paul suggesting? Because his language here is very, um, it's very, uh, it's, it's a radical statement that he's making. Um, and some will say, is Paul saying he would give up his salvation in order that Israel might be saved? Well, mm-hmm. The answer is yes. Paul is saying, if it were possible. Now, our language here is a little bit, it's a little bit tough in the English to catch this. But basically how this is written in the Greek is it is written with this kind of emphasis. It is not possible for me to give what God has given me in Jesus. But if it were, I would give that up so that Israel might come to faith in Christ. This is to communicate Paul's genuine burden and passion for his kinsmen according to the flesh. He says in verse 4, they are Israelites. So we know who he's talking about. He's talking about Israel. And he's saying in many ways they have missed it. They have missed the revelation of God's covenant fulfillment in Christ. And I hate that. I hate it so much that I would be willing to lose everything, including what God has given me in Jesus, even though that's not possible because it wasn't mine to give. It's not mine to give away. 
I would give all that up so that they might come to faith in Christ. We're supposed to understand this. And I think that helps us with the rest of Romans 9 because some of Romans 9 can feel calloused. But Paul, in the very first few words, is mm-hmm. communicating a a deep passion and burden and urgency. So when you get to election, when you get to he hardens whomever he hardens, he, he, he softens whomever he softens, he has mercy on whomever he has mercy. When you get to that kind of language, it can feel like, well, in abstraction, as a concept, those are kind of heavy-handed. They're kind of hard-hearted. But right out of the gate in Romans 9, he's saying, I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were cut off, were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of Israel. That's, that is really important because it's a tone that is often left on the table when we explore the rest of Romans 9. And we didn't get to say enough about that uh, in our episode mm-hmm. with Dr. Bird. Well, and I think there's a, there's a pastoral note there for anyone who endeavors to talk about the doctrine of election, that if it, if it isn't uh, a deeply um, compassionate issue for you, maybe be slow to speak on it. I mean, for Paul, um, Mm. he has a deep and genuine love for those that he's addressing. And that's very different than having just a cold theological discussion around um, a doctrine. And so, yeah, I think there's a, there's a teaching note there for, for all of us. Yeah. And he he does say, uh, he wants to be clear that Israel did have some primacy Mm -hmm. of place in the history of redemption. They are Israelites. To them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Yeah. These are like the people who you think of when you think of Israel's founding leaders. Mm -hmm. Uh, According to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. So then he raises the question. And we did spend some time on this with Dr. Byrd in the last episode. It's not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So Paul kind of anticipates that his listeners might go, okay, Paul, if you love us so much, if the revelation was so clear, if the message had been given and now we've missed it or Israel's missed it, did God fail? Did God's word fail? Yeah, so I I even want to highlight something you just said, Kyle, and I I really want to, I'm entering this conversation with, like lowliness. I don't want to fight. I really don't. But I do think it's important for our people to understand like why this issue matters for Paul and even why this issue matters for us today. Because one of the things you said, Kyle, that either you meant to say or it kind of you just slipped. You said one of the ways you framed the question is you said, did Israel have primacy of place in God's redemptive plans? And that's a fine question to ask. But but even I think the way Paul is framing it is, is does Israel, like a present mm-hmm. tense, because it's not just did they in the past, it's do they now and will they in the future is ultimately, I think, what, what, mm-hmm. what Paul's trying to get out here. Because if they don't, God's word will have failed, I think is what Paul's trying to say. Mm-hmm. If, if God is somehow just discarding the patriarchs, the prophets, the covenant, the law, the things that he's done in the past, and he's now kind of starting over again, uh, some of the ways that I've heard it described before is like, it's almost like God's redemptive plans are like a, like a spitwad. You know, he's, he's, he's shooting spitwads at a window and he's going to see which one sticks. Like, is it going to work through Abraham? Ah, uh, didn't work. Is it going to work through David? Ah, uh, didn't work. Is it, is it going to work through, you know, Israel? Ah, uh, no, it didn't work. Okay okay, let's do this new covenant. We'll invite the Gentiles in. And that's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is God's plan for all peoples, including Israel, uh, that they would know and love and worship Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. We live in a possession and money-obsessed culture. But what does the Bible say about generosity? 
In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. Maybe JT, let's push and pull on this for a second because I think it's helpful for me. So if I said uh, Israel has always and will always have primacy of place in the history of redemption, but by Israel, I don't mean the ethnic people of Israel, but I mean the spiritual Israel that Paul might have in view here. Would you be okay with that? Would you be okay with saying the people, or would you even be okay with me saying the people of Israel, as they self-understood themselves in the Old Testament, had primacy of place in the history of redemption? With progressive revelation, we get a picture that Israel is not merely those people who are biological descendants of Abraham, but include all of those who walk in the footsteps of the faith of Abraham, as Paul mentioned in Romans 4. And so in that way, yes, Israel broadly understood as beyond the biological descendants of Abraham, has always and will always have primacy of place in the history of redemption because they are God's people. And in that sense, Israel is merely another name for all who belong to Yahweh. Are you okay with that? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly could, yes, not only am I okay with it, I often identify with exactly what you just said. But again, there's still kind of a wrestle and a struggle uh, for me, if I'm just being honest, because uh, we, we've kind of teased some of this out. Like one of the main questions that Paul's asking is a theology proper question. It's, is God faithful? How is he going to maintain his covenant? In chapter 11, I know we're not there yet. He, he says, Paul says in chapter 11, verse 29, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now we can talk about that as it relates to us. Like God has called, God has called me. He's given, he's gifted me. And those things are irrevocable. Uh, that's uh, perseverance of the saints. That's, that's God is, that's kindness to individuals. But what Paul's primarily hiding, highlighting here is God's calling of, of Israel. And he also talks about God's judgment of Israel. And so if, if we, I guess my concern is if we consign this only to, or, or kind of designate this as Paul referring only to spiritual Israel, I struggle with verse 11, uh, chapter 11 making as much sense um, because God is judging them. And he's saying that the judgment that he's placing upon this Israel or the people of God or whatever we want to call them is actually then that the Gentiles would come in. But it sounds like what you're saying is, is there's always been a spiritual Israel. Are you saying that the church is spiritual Israel? It seems like, uh, well, Jen, do you want to jump in? No, I want you to keep going. I'm going to watch this play out. It seems to me if we understand it looking back, there was a time in which Israel 
at least in their self-understanding, had a self-understanding that they were the people of God. Mm-hmm. But even at that point, there was an opportunity for non-Israelite mm-hmm. inclusion into the covenantal a- faith absolutely. and benefits of Yahweh. So I don't think that we could say looking back – even if Israel had a more narrow understanding, that Israel was always and only comprised of biological descendants. Well, it, it even was in the Old Testament. There was clear right. proselytes, right. and here's how you sure. enter. So, yeah, I'm not. I'm not arguing that. But more than that, if you were asking me, Kyle, do you believe that from the beginning of Israel's uh, what we might call their material inception, being like the uh, headship of Abraham and the biological descendants of Abraham. If God intended for Israel to be comprised of just biological descendants of Abraham or not, I would say no. He And Israel, I believe, did have primacy of place in a few things, the revelation of God in the Old Testament and the sending through the Israelite people of the mm-hmm. Son of God, uh, Christ Jesus. Though That would be the only primacy of place I would attribute to Israel as a nation state. I would not attribute any uh, specific covenant promises uh, as having specific covenant fulfillment of which the biological people of Israel are the true, authentic, and original receptors. I think that's that's fine. I I, I can say that. But the question I would ask you is chapter 11, verse 1, Paul highlights biology. Yeah. Yep. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Here he's talking about an ethne, an ethnic people, not a spiritual Israel, right? Can we agree on that? Yep. Has God rejected ethne, the ethnic people of no, Israel? No, I, I don't think he has. They've been get- Right, but then by no means. For I myself am an Israelite, talking about right. his ethnicity, a descendant of Abraham. Mm-hmm. So he's talking not about belief. He's talking about descendant. Like he's talking about Abraham's actual descendant and family, and I'm also a member of the tribe of Jacob. Sure, but by the end of it, he's— So the things that he's highlight. I'm just saying, let's just go through— yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. I'm saying mm-hmm. let's do the theological gymnastics that it takes to get to your position and deal with the whole text, and I think you are. Mm-hmm. I'm, this is, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to fight. But Paul is highlighting the things that you're saying are not true about Israel. He is highlighting bio, biology, and he's highlighting ethnicity. At the front end of 11, he is. But by verse 5, he's saying he's given an example of the remnant that did not mm-hmm. bow the knee to Baal yep. and saying so too at the present time, yep. there is a remnant. So Paul is even sequestering even among the biological descendants by giving both a historical example from Israel and kind of a theological lens for it that, yes, they, this remnant has been chosen by grace. So yep, yep. I think that— We have to continue, though. Seemed- this is, this is, these are the—and gen- <laughs> I know we'll get to this in chapter 11. 11. But and this is what makes it hard. Like what I hope our listeners take from this is that this should this should produce theological humility, not theological hubris, which is is what Kyle and I and Jen are trying to do here. Is there are a few different positions here that are actually really really close, all of which right. are trying to deal with the whole text. Because you you just highlighted verse five, the remnant. Then verse six, it would also prove your point. But if it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. It's not on the basis of ethnicity or circumcision or being of the right. tribe of Benjamin. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. But then he asks the obvious question: What then? Has Israel failed to obtain what it has been seeking? The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened as it is written. 
so then, then he goes on in verses 7, and I know we're not doing chapter 11. We should get back to chapter 9. He talks about then now the Gentile ingrafting, which then leads right. to the mystery of Israel's salvation in verse 25. So this is a what you're highlighting at the beginning of this episode, Kyle, is this is a tricky passage at the beginning of chapter 9 that should be read with 10 and 11 in view. No doubt about that. And and I don't think it gets I don't think that there is a simple answer to the question. I think that there are a few faithful answers to the question. Like if somebody comes to me and says, Hey, listen, I read Romans nine through eleven and I still see that there is a unique, special, specific purpose for the ethne people of Israel and God's not just the history of redemption, but the future salvation and glory that is to come. I would say, Okay, yeah, that's very viable from Romans nine, ten and eleven. I I can understand why you would get there. And I do think that the language here between whether it's remnant and the rest or the 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 elect and the hardened or the not all who descended from Israel belong to Israel the or the uh, the the loins of Abraham versus the footsteps of Abraham in verse uh, chapter 4 it is tricky 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 business like we discussed with uh, Dr. Bird on how you sort this out because there are some days I read this passage these passages Romans 9 through 11 and I find myself and JT you and I have talked about this I'll find myself pulled towards man there is some future things that have to have yet to be fulfilled for Israel and then there are other times where I'm like no I just don't think that's the case I think it's broader than that mm-hmm. um, and that isn't to say that God's word and you're not saying this God's word is not complicated God's word is clear no. it's our it's our darkened hearts and minds that need to be illumined by the Holy Spirit to see the clarity that's already in the text. And again, I, I would just encourage people, I think the main question that Paul is trying to answer here isn't so much who's Israel, it's is God covenantally faithful and how, how is he going to demonstrate his covenantal faithfulness to all peoples, not just Israel. Yeah. Yep. But there was a word that we just that we just mentioned there that I know, Jen, we wanted to come back to um, because we didn't say much about it, which is the word elect. Um, here we go. <laughs> verses 14. <laughs> Let's get on that quilt train, Kyle. Which was the, the, the other <laughs> passage we read. We, 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 we talked a little bit uh, about the Jacob Esau passage with Dr. Mm-hmm. Burr. We didn't really spend a ton of time talking about the doctrine of election in verses 14 through 25, so to speak. And, and Dr. Bird did have a caution for us. And I want to remind us of yeah. that iceberg, which is the doctrine of election is often discussed in Romans 9 with abstraction from the actual literary context that it's embedded in and the historic context around the conversation. So we want to try to talk about this doctrine in a way that isn't to try to make, to prove Calvinism Mm -hmm. or reform theology. That's not really the interest here. The interest is what really is going on when it comes to God's sovereign grace of election or the act of God in choosing in Romans 9, 14 and following, uh, what's happening here. So, but maybe we should start here. If somebody just said, what's election, Jen? I'm not asking you to put your cards down (laughs) where you land on it. If they just said, what's election? What what would you say? Uh, I mean, I think the classic definition is God's sovereign choice in in salvation, right? Yeah. Um, but I would say, you know, that's that's a nice, neat, easy definition, but it doesn't do a lot pastorally, um, as I've already pointed out, because people, you know, get into that. Well, gosh, this is determinism, um, and I, I don't think you can make the. I don't think you can make the argument that we have a deterministic view of God when you hold all of what the scripture says about this um, intention. Um, But we don't often do that. We often are pulling out just one portion of what is said and not weighing it against others. Um, 
And I do think that to have the conversation about it in chapter nine, you do have to back up a little bit to, to, um, to the discussion about Abraham and Isaac, you know, and, and then it gets into Jacob and Esau, mm-hmm. but specifically that statement of, um, in verse seven, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So basically he's, he's designating in the family tree, you know, he's saying, hey, you pride yourself on being a child of Abraham, but Abraham had more than one child. Um, he, you know, in, in, when, when Isaac right. is born, Isaac is actually his second son, um, in, in all fairness, because um, Ishmael is born before Isaac is. And God's sovereign choice is that the line of faithful, uh, that the line of, of Abraham would, would be reckoned through Isaac. And, and so then you think about what's the difference between Isaac's birth and Ishmael's birth. And one of the places that we see this the most clearly, I think, is actually in the Gospel of John, um, where it's actually John is touching at the beginning of his gospel on this idea of how Christ came to the Jew and and met with rejection, um, and what was the what was the outcome of that? And so, um, I'm just going to read um, from John chapter one. Um, starting in verse 11, it says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, of the will of God. And, And when you look at the birth of Ishmael in contrast to the birth of Isaac, you see this this designation. Ishmael is born according to the will of man. It is Sarah and Abraham colluding together to produce offspring um, through Sarah's um, servant. But when you look at Isaac, Isaac is the miraculous child born out of the womb that was as good as dead. And so um, the mystery of salvation is around the will of God, not the will of man. And so I think when you when you start looking at that as it as it informs what we're talking about here in Romans, it starts to get a little more clear, maybe? Anyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think it does. I, I think, listen, I, one of the things that's been very helpful for me is— um, I had a professor who one time sat me down and was like, um, I know that you haven't read Augustine because of the way that you talk about election. And I know that you haven't read Calvin because of the way that you're talking about election and electing Mm -hmm. grace. And what he meant by that was there is um, most of the time when election is discussed in Christian circles, it almost has the feeling of a thought experiment. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really begins to inhabit the world of philosophic theology, which is not insignificant or inconsequential. I think it's a very important discipline. It is a very tricky discipline um, and usually has to be standing on a strong biblical theology. The reality is that the doctrine of election is not a manner of the... Nobody in the ancient Near East thought their will was greater Mm -hmm. than God's. I mean, nobody. Nobody is sitting around going, you know who I bet we could thwart God? (laughs) Nobody. Mm -hmm. So the, the battle of the question of election is not a question over my will or God's will. Listen, I don't know what you what your doctrine of God is, but any understanding you would have that would suggest that you can beat God's purposes would be a false understanding of who God is and what he is doing in the world. What's happening in Romans 9 is a question of grace and sin, mercy and sin, and God's activity in those works. So yes, it involves the will and the willing of God, but it isn't arbitrary. 
It isn't capricious. And nobody is to read these passages. This is what Paul says. Verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? What is, will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Paul isn't suggesting there's not some sort of end route here where you're going to be able to say, um, hey, I, I think God should have done it differently, or I think we have freedom. Paul is very clear here. What God is doing in the work of salvation in the work of election. Now, I'm tabling this from the larger question of providence and predestination. I want to be really clear about how I'm using these terms, and I think this is important. When we're talking about election, and oftentimes when we're talking about predestination, we conflate God's sovereign activity over anything in the world with God's sovereign activity in salvation. And that is not always helpful to do. I'm not talking about God's providential care and direction of everything at the atomic level. That That's important, and we should talk about that. That's just not what this text is about. This text is about how do those who receive salvation receive salvation? Well, it is the intervening act of God upon their life. That's how it happens. Whether it's Jacob over Esau or it's these people and not these people, it is a sovereign choice that God is making, and it is an act of grace and mercy. But everyone starts with hard mm-hmm. hearts. Mm-hmm. Everyone does. Everyone does. That's where everyone Speak begins. <laughs> well, everyone starts at the beginning with hard yeah. hearts. No, you're right. I think another thing that's important to point out in a passage like this related specifically to election, it, and I want to make sure I'm phrasing this, is not a either or, but a both and. Um, we tend to have a very individualistic reading of a text like this. And that's not un, un, uncontested. Jacob and Esau were individuals, but they were also parts of peoples. They are parts of families, mm-hmm. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so election, according to the Bible, is certainly for individuals. Um, if you are in Christ, God has chosen you before the foundation of the world to receive all the benefits of salvation in him. But you're in him as a part of a family. And the same thing's true here is, and you see this in Genesis chapter 12, one through three, where we could talk about the election of Abraham Mm -hmm. is, I mean, why did God not choose Abraham's neighbor in Ur? I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Or the guy across across the street, I don't know. God chose Abraham uh, and called him out of Ur to be a, to be a, to be a, king of nations mm-hmm. and to to raise up uh, uh, people after him. <clears throat> so he chose him, but he chose him for the sake of a corporate family so that all nations would be blessed. And I think that's something that's important here too, is election never terminates on itself. Election always extends through the person who's been elected to, to incorporate all who've been called to be a part of God's family. Mm-hmm. That's right. I do feel like this is one of those passages, again, I know I harped on this at the beginning of Romans 9, but like keep in mind the the heart-level disposition with which Paul is approaching this part. He, he, he is getting here to these words through great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay? So just as a flag on the field, if somebody takes Romans 9, and bandies it about with callousness, they're not getting both the tone of the text and the truth of the text. And that is, mm-hmm. you got to have both of those things. Kyle, would you call that a pitfall? Oh. I would call oh it a gosh. pitfall. <laughs> what, what would some of the pitfalls? <laughs> you know, 
I love that you do this. Um, Kyle, Kyle, I have not uh, told you this, but um, someone gifted me a hard-to-find copy of your book. And I'm, I'm, really? I'm saving okay. it. I'm going to do a little dramatic reading at some point. It says there's only one copy available on Amazon. Whoever, I'm not going to, well, I've already got a copy too. Whoever yeah. wants a copy, the first person to listen to this can go buy a copy. <laughs> the last copy. I'm, hey, don't worry. I, I'm sitting on a supply it's of them. Supply them demand issue. Um, I'm like I'm like the guys who at the beginning of a global pandemic went out and bought mm-hmm. all the toilet mm-hmm. paper and hand sanitizer. It was like, except with books uh, that nobody. Wants I actually to I have like um, I have the pocket size version. Do you have the full size version, JT? Or oh wait, that's the only version. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Hey, but for somebody who writes short books that are accessible, no, are you really I know I can't. I can't afford to judge on that. Let's just have a little fun um, with my Nyquil listen. loaded friend. Yes, there's no doubt about that. Um, I'm on the back end of the Nyquil. This one, I might have to go take some more and zone out. Um, listen, I, I think Romans nine is one of those passages that deserves two episodes, and that's why we wanted to come back to it. Um, it Paul ends with with something we didn't really get to spend much talk about either. Um, he he goes through the mm-hmm. vessels of wrath and the vessels for for glory. Doctor Burr talked about that just briefly, but further on at the very very end of the chapter, and and if I'm moving too far ahead, guys, just pull me back. But in Romans nine thirty, he says, "What shall we say then?" And we've seen Paul say he mm-hmm. uses over this phrase over and over and over again. It's a rhetorical device. It's a way for him to recap. It's a way for him to kind of retrace his steps in the book. So just know, when you see what shall we say then, Paul is trying to close out a portion of an argument and move forward in the flow. He's not He's just kind of, it's a transitional, it's a hinge statement. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So Paul here, again, again, is trying to kind of conclude what he opened with in Romans 9, 6. No, God hasn't failed. God hasn't failed, and Israel wasn't on a fool's errand uh, when it comes to the law. The law wasn't wicked. The law wasn't broken. It was a broken approach to the law that got Israel in a place of spiritual confusion. They misunderstood mm-hmm. how righteousness was going to be given to them. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it seems like what he's saying is that Gentiles didn't get it because that God wanted to replace Israel. The Gentiles got it because they didn't have the law. They heard about faith in Christ. They responded in faith. And so too can you, Israel. Yeah. Can I read? I don't always go to the message, but when I do, no, but I'd love to read like the way that Eugene Peterson has paraphrased this because I I came across it just the other day. I thought it was a really interesting rephrasing. He says, how can we sum this up? All those people who didn't seem interested in what God was doing actually embraced what God was doing, and he straightened out their lives. And Israel, who seemed so interested in reading and talking about what God was doing, missed it. How could they miss it? Because instead of trusting God, they took over. They were absorbed in what they themselves were doing. They were so absorbed in their good projects that they didn't notice God right in front of them, like a huge rock in the middle of the road. And so they stumbled into him and went sprawling. Isaiah gives us the metaphor for pulling this together. Careful, I've put a huge stone on the road to Mount Zion, a stone you can't get around. But the stone is me. If you're looking for me, you'll find me on the way, not in the way. Wow. I quit. That guy's so good. 
He's good. He is. He's solid. You guys remember for that period of time when everybody yeah. hated on the message? I did. I was I was so wrong. I, I only hated. Dummy. I wasn't hating on the message. I was hating on the lack of understanding of what the message is and isn't. And really, like right. you know, I've I've gone to it some during my study of Romans. Um, and sometimes it's really great, and other times it's like, oh, I don't know if it was all in there. But obviously, he's not trying to get it all in there. That's and and I think when people no. understand what he is and isn't doing, then the beauty of it really. Uh, rises to the forefront. He's he's flexing a muscle um, that we should all be learning to flex. Um, and we should understand that a paraphrase is always going to be a limited uh, rewording of what was there, but but also can be a very useful one. Yeah. Were you throwing shade at my bicep right there? Yeah, Jean? absolutely. Flexing a muscle. Yeah. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. flexing a muscle. I didn't even it, catch I, I believe I said off air earlier it would take five of my biceps to equal one There's of yours. There's always like so. triple or quadruple yeah. entendres with Jen, like a deeper meaning <laughs> in what she's doing. There is. There is. Rude. Yeah, so Paul, I mean, uh, now listen, this is not going to be the end of what Paul has to say about these topics. JT has said it. We said it in the episode with Dr. Bird. The next two chapters are the appropriate companions to Romans 9. So if you're ending this and ending our episode with Dr. Bird and going, I still have more questions. So do we. What? Paul absolutely <laughs> anticipates that you do. <laughs> the church in Rome would have had questions at this point. We have questions, and we're going to explore those as we continue in Romans 10 and 11 moving forward. And so we hope today, between this episode and the episode with Dr. Bird, which if you missed, you must go and listen to, and we hope that they've given you kind of a baseline. And as we get into 10 and 11, we will find ourselves, just like today, when we were in 9 going to 11, when we're 10 and 11, we will find ourselves going back to Romans 9 uh, and tying it together because it is a unit here together. On our next episode, we're going to actually step out of a specific passage, and we're going to look at the doctrine of salvation in Romans. Kind of, Paul has introduced a lot of big terms that are helpful theological concepts. We've explored them as they've emerged in the text, but we think it'd be important to go back and just go, what is righteousness? What is faith? What is sin? What is salvation? What is redemption? What is sanctification? What is justification? And kind of go through those together. So on our next episode, we're really going to explore the doctrine of salvation in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. You can find Knowing Faith on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, follow us over there. Leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash knowingfaith. We have some cool behind-the-scenes stuff over there um, and some uh, other kind of cool things that you can find out over there. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. Grace and peace. Peace.